Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Madams Cast. This week, I am even more excited than usual because not only are we dealing with an obscure old fashioned fruit, uh, and no, that's not me or my guest, uh, we are also um, talking to someone who's been nominated to come on the show, whom I have never met, which always the best thing because that means I get to make a new friend uh, or a new enemy because you need both in life at the same time as producing an entertaining foodie and informative podcast for you if you are listening why you know I'm not sure what format you'll be listening in but if you could please make the effort to download the show rather than just stream it that just helps at RN with numbers and gets a better audience um, feel free to send in your feedback and things like that now then Last episode, we had the fabulous Sarah Pettigree, and she was talking all about her pies. And right at the end, she nominated Jane Stewart, who grows meddlers. Jane Stewart, are you there on the internet? I am here and on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Good morning. Welcome. Yeah, good morning to you. Welcome to the podcast. Um, How are you? I'm extremely well, thank you. Um, I'm extremely well. There's a storm raging outside. I think this one's called Francis, and it's made a good effort overnight to cause some damage. But actually, I think I've won, um, and it, so it's one to me and nil to Francis. <laughs> so I'm very, <laughs> I'm very cheery this morning. Oh, that's great. When did when did we start naming storms? I don't remember that being a thing as a child. No, no, no. This is a recent thing, isn't it? Oh. I mean, it's so recent that we have to remember that it was Ellen last week and it's Francis this week. <laughs> uh, oh, OK. So there's an order to it. Oh, yeah. Boy, girl, boy, oh. girl. Alphabetical. Um, yeah, it's great. Anyway, something oh. else to think about, isn't it? OK. Yeah, yeah, well, there is that. There's all sorts of things to think about. We had a bit of a storm yesterday. I wonder if it's the same one that made its way to you. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah it started with you guys. I hope you're all OK. Um, and it made its way up here. So, yeah. Fantastic. Anyway. Fantastic. And, oh, yeah. um, OK, well, is your orchard all right? And is that the yes. right term for a collective group of meddler trees? Well, it is, actually. Yes, it is a meddler orchard. Um it is an orchard of 120 trees planted in stages over the last, gosh, seven years. Hang on, um, hang on, hang on. This is my fault, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, uh, that's just because I'm excited and I want to know no, no, all no. about it. But first of all, I it need is an to do orchard. an introduction properly for you. And okay. I've learned that it's an orchard, so that's great. Um, Jane, in uh, fewer than a few minutes, can you please tell me mm-hmm. uh, who you are? And how you got there. You don't need to start okay. at the cradle and give no, me no, all no. the gory details. But no. I, I mean, a brief overview would be great. OK, well, I got into this meddling business in Eastgate Larder terms, um, gosh, in 2016, which was the year after I had felt the full benefit in medical terms of moving to this part of Norfolk. That being... Um, a life-saving diagnosis of an early bowel cancer. And that really is a big part of why there's an orchard here at all and why it is that I have decided in my uh, youthful uh, enthusiasm, I was then aged 55, uh, to set up a business making preserves and to see whether or not anybody would buy them. And the answer to that does seem to be yes, which is good news. Um, And... The decision to plant the orchard to support the business had two elements to it. One is that I felt that Norfolk had done something extraordinary for me um, 
and I wanted to show my appreciation for the county. So I thought, oh, what hasn't it got? It hasn't got an orchard of medlar trees. And um, the other thing was that I wanted to sort of find out, I suppose, in terms of setting myself a challenge as to whether or not I could make these things grow, find out where other meddlers grew in Norfolk, because to start with, tiny trees produce tiny amounts of fruit. And um, off I went. And I now have a network of about 60 meddler tree owners from the Grand, in terms of places like Blickling Hall and Oxborough Hall, um, right the way through to the profoundly domestic, where an enthusiast has planted a medlar tree and they want their fruit to be part of the Eastgate Larder um, enterprise. So Brilliant. it's uh, yeah, it's been a funny old um, it's been a funny old journey. But my goodness, it has been a wonderful few years of learning completely new things. I'm a refugee from the world of the sort of service sector. I spent a good few years um, when my children were young working in the city of London. I am a Londoner. I have to fess up here. I am a refugee in all sorts of ways. So um, I'm a Londoner, worked in the city for a long time. And uh, that was wonderful because um, it allowed me to support my kids who are now all in their 30s. So they're off the mm -hmm. payroll, which is good news. And then after that, <laughs> I, um, I had, yeah, a bad thing happened in my life when I was 40. And it made me rethink everything. By the time I was 43, 44, I had retrained and set up an executive leadership coaching business. That was an extraordinary thing. Again, it's the sort of question of, you know, could I do this? You know, do I know how to do it? What does it involve? All of those really important things. And um, had an absolutely brilliant time and was happily doing that when we moved up here um, in, oh gosh, when was it? 2000. 12, 13, and was still happily going along doing that three days a week in London. And mm -hmm. um, along came this diagnosis, as I say, when I was 55. And these big sort of personal events have been the triggers for major change um, for me, not about sort of going into retreat, but actually what else is there? What else could I do? How can I tell myself that I'm still alive and still moving forwards. So, wow, what a brilliant story so far. Well, I mean, uh, so that vigorous way of waking you up. I mean, I, I love yep. that. I love there's two ways of dealing with any critical situation in your life. And it sounds like you've chosen a positive one mm. on more than one occasion, yeah. um, which probably uh, indicates some of the reason for your your success recently but we have to go backwards because we've already mentioned it several times <laughs> and there's some basic things that that I know perhaps a little bit about that you know a lot about but that the listeners may have no idea about at all and the first mm. one is what is a meddler? Well this is a great question if we'd been sitting here technology permitting 120 years ago everybody in the audience would have known a lot about meddlers because they were a really big part of our food culture and certainly our winter diet they ah. have played a part through our history um, which is quite incredible but because the fruit is effortful rather than easy to work with, i.e. Mm -hmm. you can't just rip one from a tree like an apple or an apricot and just crack straight into it and have a lovely time. 
Um, the harvest is just the first part of the process. And I think this is one of the sort of cultural and social reasons why the fruit fell out of favour. But in short order, this is a fruit that is a tree fruit and it is a close cousin of the quince, the pear and the apple. And uh, as with all of those um, members of the rose family and with their geographical origins, probably somewhere on the coast of the Caspian Sea um, oh. in Eurasia. Yeah, um, we know that the apple originated in Kazakhstan. Um, as far as I can tell, the origins of the medlar in its wild, undomesticated, thorny form are on the northwestern shores of the Caspian Sea, which sounds deeply romantic, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. I, yeah. I, I search engined up a, a picture of some. Mm. Um, because I was like, well, I've, I've worked with meddlers in mm. the past, yeah. um, both the fruit and the negative influence on your life. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I like that. Um, I like that. Stay, stay focused. Um, and um, and they looked a little bit like rhododendrons to me. Mm. I don't know they, why I thought that. No, I think that's. Um, I think that there is um, there is a good reason for people to have all kinds of. Um, different and personal to them mental images. When I do tastings, I, mean, I haven't been doing them this year because of this, you know, the COVID mm. situation. But <laughs> um, in the past, tastings of the fruit and also the preserves have, have generated wonderful descriptions, everything from apricot to honey to fig to pear to applesauce, all sorts of things, um, which just reflect the extent to which we're all different in terms of our palate. But um, we have, as we do for so much in our lives in this country, we have to thank the arrival of the Romans for the arrival of the meddler. And it's entirely possible, but I can't actually prove it, I'm sort of 95% sure, that um, the Romans, who we knew had a love of um, a, a wide range of different fruits and foods, probably brought meddlers with them you know, possibly even in their pockets as a luxury food item, a food treat, um, when they arrived here. We have no evidence that they ever cultivated the trees, but we do know uh, through archaeobotanical remains that were found on the sort of Hampshire, Berkshire border wow. not so long ago, that medlars had been consumed in the Roman ruins there. And um, so that's sort of my starting point. Uh, yep, they are not native They've acclimatised brilliantly, as has the apple, the pear and the quince. Um, mm -hmm. The quince has become more fashionable in the last few years. I mean, yeah, every autumn there are gorgeous, gorgeous recipes and ideas for ways of using quince. And they turn up in the greengrocer from time to time. But mm -hmm. the medlar, um, rather like the mulberry, in fact, you know, they don't make a good transition from the tree to a retail outlet. Um, if they're ripe and ready to eat, they will sort of almost self-destruct, rather like a mulberry. Um, and so they really are a, a fruit that is typically found in private gardens, maybe old orchards where, you know, if you find a mulberry and a quince tree growing the uh, and a walnut, funnily enough, mm -hmm. you have a good chance of finding a medlar tucked away in a corner or somebody telling you that there used to be a medlar. They're long-lived trees as well. They outlive the apple by a factor of two to three it's not unusual Goodness. to find a two to three hundred year old medlar tree in fact there's That's one amazing. there's one down on the um south of norwich in the grounds of an old abbey um now a ruin which uh 
we think was planted in the 1820s. Isn't that lovely? And the monks oh. used to sit in the shade of this beautiful young tree um, and take refuge from the sunshine. Do you know, so, I love I love anything like that that sort of reminds us how mm. fleeting our kind of... We, we sort of stroll about the place like we own it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that. The fact yeah. that that tree has been there so yeah. long, rooted yeah. in that place, the stories it could tell. Yeah. Uh, and and the fruit that it's produced and the yep. you know the cycle of energy that it, that's been through it yep. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I had no idea that they lived up to three times as long as an apple tree. I, mean, I know, amazing. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's a lovely, and lovely, lovely thought. It is, and yet we have so much folklore in the UK surrounding mm. you know cider orchards and apple trees mm. and pears mm. and all of those things. And yet, I mean, do you wassail uh, uh, for a for a medlar tree? <laughs> Well, this is an interesting question. Um, not to my knowledge, but I have to confess that my knowledge is based on not actually having investigated or even thought about it. So um, <laughs> there you are. That's something to add to the list for the autumn. Um, let's 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 start one. Let <laughs> let's start it right now. We're going to have a Norfolk medlar wassail. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Well, I can think of a few folk um, who might be interested in coming along and being part of that. But it's um, it's been a very it is a curious fruit. I mean, it's curious in the sense that it is, despite my own sense of its um, presence in all sorts of places, it is very rare. So to give you an idea, as I said earlier, I know the whereabouts in about 60 locations in Norfolk of medlar trees. So if I mm -hmm. think about just scaling that up to the whole county based on the weight of medlars that I have harvested in particular years, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it might be reasonable to estimate that there are something like two to three tonnes, metric tonnes, that's 2,000 to 3,000 kilos of medlars coming off trees around Norfolk every autumn, okay? Yeah. And if you compare that with the um, output of a single apple orchard that is productive, where for example, you might have an output of um, 10 tonnes, 10 metric tonnes of fruit coming off a big apple orchard in one location in the county. It gives you a sense of just how unusual and invisible these fruits still are. Brilliant. And so yeah. in much the same way as you're a refugee from the city, mm. the medlar is very much a refugee from history. It is. And, and the, you're both yeah. valuable for the same reasons. And and. <laughs> And so, mm. okay, right, before we dive into the main part of the show, yeah. I want to tell you, I want to do two things. First, I want to talk about the line you gave me, refugees from the city. Okay, <laughs> I'm briefly going to give you a little thought on that. I yeah. think there's going to be a lot more soon. And I think mm. it is way beyond time mm. to breathe a bit of life back into the provinces mm. in the UK. And I'm really excited about that. I've got nothing against um, urban centres. I lived in London for seven mm. years. I had a great time. It was never my home. And I really think we need to be less London centric in our mm. thinking uh, about the country. Mm. Um, that's an aside. I really, I really think lots of people <clears throat> are going to be looking in the aftermath of the recent social um, shutdown at the environment around them and deciding more to not live in you know, huge urban conurbations. Mm. And I love, I absolutely love the line, A Curious Fruit. It sounds like the title of a book 
are you writing a book on meddlers and is that its title well (laughs) (laughs) busted Um, yeah there is a book um in our minds um and we have as we've got as far as identifying um a publisher partner for this oh well that is Um, i mean that is nine tenths of the battle it is well done but the, the 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 really this is something that um would be a joint enterprise with my um, darling husband, David, who is, among other many things that he is brilliant at, he is also, um, and he loves doing it, a writer. I much prefer chatting. <laughs> I don't. I write shopping lists, but I don't um, have a reputation for writing um, anything like an article or a book. Um, and a lot of the research... Um, has been completed now and uh, it really falls to me to uh, find a good week of really terrible weather to torment myself at the computer and write down my part of the story um, in such a way that we can actually make the whole thing an interesting read. We've got loads of photographs, we've got lots of history, we've got lots of anecdote, we've got um, we've got my story that needs to be incorporated in it but so we're we are nine tenths of the way there and I am the blockage I've completely put my hands up uh, and if David were in this room he would be grinning like mad um, <laughs> that I were publicly acknowledging the fact that I am actually the block here um, but no it is in the offing and we want to do it well and do it right and part of part of the sort of the journey that we've been on is to get the orchard um, which is made up of a large number of one variety of tree the Nottingham which is the most commonly found cultivar um, and supplement that with pairs of um, the other cultivars and now Norfolk not only has this meddler orchard it's got a national collection recognized by plant heritage which is the world's largest plant conservation charity so this orchard is going to be a public amenity when the world opens up again Um, Mm -hmm people to come and look at the beautiful flowers in the late spring um may to june and then if they want to come and look at the fruits as they ready themselves for harvest and the leaves start to change color which is the as you'll know from your own experience which is the sort of late october early november story um so yes it's that is also a big part of this because I, there isn't a book anywhere on the meddler that we have been able to find and we've looked pretty hard <laughs> mm. Well, they're an obscure fruit. I they mean, are an obscure you say fruit. Curious. I go with I go with obscure. Um, and my mm. my my first experience of the mm. meddler mm. was it was terrifying. I mean, I was fresh. I wasn't fresh out of London. I'd just done a couple of years as a chef for a Formula One team, and then mm. I got this job at River Cottage, mm. and I just got married. And I was still on sort of cloud cuckoo land, really. Like, oh, I've just got married. Life's brilliant. I've got this new job. It's going to be fun. Mm. And um the head chef that was the head chef there at the at the time was only there briefly but um he sent me down and said so go and get the meddlers and I was like mm. what uh mm. and it wasn't until later that I realized he only knew what they were because he'd looked them up in a book and yeah. he was no expert on them at all yeah. um but I was and, I, and then um his lordship Hugh Fernley turned up as did Pam the Jam mm. and I had no idea who she was mm. uh Pam Corbin mm-hmm. and obviously I knew who Hugh was and mm-hmm. they just started picking them up and talking about them and breaking them open and mm. tasting them mm. and they turned around to me and said and what do you think and I went I've got no idea <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I don't know what that is I've never seen one before and yeah. quite frankly I haven't got a clue what to do with it they look to me like they 
gone off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The perfectly bletted medlar. That bletting is another Norfolk word coined by a, um, a botanist who was born here. So oh, Nor- I tell you, Norfolk's got its arms right round this revival. That's my thing, you know, my mission. Everything I do has to answer this question. If I say yes to whatever I'm thinking about, will this get me closer to successfully reviving the meddler? Okay. Well, okay. I, so I, everything yeah, I, mean, I do is guided by that. With the customers we're going like to get behind to work you. With. Yeah, thank you. Talking to Tim. Um, and the, great, the great good fortune I had was uh, being placed at the next bench along from Sarah Pettigree at the Aylsham Show in the autumn of 2016, when I rocked up with two medlar trees in big pots, um, no more than a handbag full of stock because uh, the 10 trees that I had at that point um, had only produced enough fruit to do that, and an order book. <laughs> Nice, bloody nice. Ale- and I was at the blooming Aylsham show um, in the front row uh, next to Sarah. And she is, well, you've spoken to her. She is not yeah. only lovely and now a really good friend, but she has the most wonderful skill for just gently um, hinting that you might be trying to tie yourself into a totally unnecessary knot. And my knot at that stage was, I want to make medlar preserves with fruit that I've grown in my own garden. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. But it might that be just making things a little bit too tricky? <laughs> Given the reaction I'd had that day. So a fast networking program started. So useful transfer of skills from being in the city and building up a coaching company. You know, Mm -hmm. can you network? Can you talk to people? Can you find out where the resources that you need? The answer to that turned out to be yes. And by that sort of November, I'd located um, 300 kilos of medlars that were all grown in Norfolk and whose owners were very happy to give them to me in exchange for donations to charities that they chose. And that Mm. is now the business model for Eastgate Larder. People give fruit, choose a charity, and Eastgate Larder, with reference to the weight of the fruit, donates every December um, an amount of money to all the different charities that have been chosen. And this is sort of... This is how things have continued. And it's oh. and it's just sort of like having nice conversations all the time. And what I regard as the Medler family, you know, includes all these lovely garden owners who now take a different, some of them take a different degree of interest in their own Medler tree because the fruit has a purpose. It's going to be part of, you know, a jelly or a chutney or a Medler fruit cheese. And it's going to be paired with other lovely food, including braised cottage pork pies um, or cheeses or charcuterie or game or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be part of this mission to revive the fortunes of the meddler. And Mm. and Mm. it's creating income for charities Mm. and it's encouraging the revival of a rare breed of fruit in this country. Absolutely. And it's planting more permaculture yep. hectares, if yep. you like. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I know. This is this is brilliant. You are a one woman world saving machine. <laughs> well, I don't know about Jane. that. But... Oh, okay. I, I might be overselling it slightly. Yeah, it's a lovely but I, thought. I really like it. <laughs> I love, I mean, I chatting again, you know, the chats, um, chatting um, with the um, Sandringham 
apple juice man last year. I was lucky enough to be able to buy some of the beautiful apples, Bramleys, that they grow to go on in my chutney because our Bramleys were having a year off. And um, he said that uh, the Prince of Wales, who's now taken over the running of the estate, mm-hmm. um, is uh, getting into agroforestry. And part of that involves the planting of 50 medlar trees. How excited am I? Um, I know which cultivars he's chosen and I've got a good sense of, you know, what is going on there. And I'm thinking this is just fantastic. That's going to be such a phenomenal boost to raising a people's awareness when they get the chance to go round and look at what is being done there. Um, I'd place money on the fact that down at Highgrove, there'll be medlar trees tucked away there somewhere because, you know, this fits so much with part of having a diversified, um, rich environment for all the creatures that we need to support and sustain in uh, the natural world. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, um, Jane, I could chat to you about meddlers forever, I think, yeah. it seems, or at least for, for longer than I've got. Mm. Um, but I'm going to have to... Mm. There's no gentle way of doing this. I need to move us on. No, that's uh, fair into enough. The main that's what we agreed. We contracted. <laughs> <laughs> we oh did. yeah, but I, I'm a, I'm terrible for breaking contracts. No, that's fine. I, I mean, or modifying them. Um, so, Jane, you're allowed um, three things you'd like to change about the world of food, oh, and they gosh. can be they can mm. be worthy. They can be flippant. They can be fun. They can be whatever you like. Um, mm. And they can be a mixture of them, and lots of people interpret this differently yeah. in different ways. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how ready you are. How ready are you? Oh crikey! Um, I'm actually. This is the scary thing because yeah. um, <laughs> there is so there. It is such an enormous. Um, it is such an enormous field. Um, of, yeah. Actually, it's such an enormous field of concern, and when I reflect. Um, which I do from time to time on, you know, my own um, mercifully brief um, uh, experience of uh, bowel cancer for which, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was from which I was successfully cured. Um, mm-hmm. uh, inevitably, it makes you think about the gut, makes you think about the diet that we're eating. And I, and I know that this is a slow growing condition. And um I was sort of thinking a lot about the life that I was leading possibly in my 30s, working full time in the city and into my 40s. Um, And, you know, what were the things that I was doing that may have contributed? This isn't about trying to find a cause or a reason. But, you know, we know that in the same way that the brain is mysterious, the gut is even more mysterious. Mm. And it has made me much, much more... um, aware about the quality of food and by that I mean you know is it um, untouched by a a process if you like Um, how many ingredients has it got so it's made me much more aware of the importance of eating natural um, natural food Mm-hmm. Um, food where I know what the ingredients are. Are they are the ingredients things that my granny would recognise if she was still alive? She'd be about 110 now. Um, those sorts of things. So I think there is a sort of an overall acuity um, of awareness, um, which yeah, which does sound a bit worthy, doesn't it? I mean, it, but it is a serious issue because um, it's costing us all 
a great deal of ill health, possibly um, mental um, health, and also ultimately our health service, a lot of money because, um, and I've been there too, we've lost touch as a nation with what it is that we're putting in our bodies. We really are what we eat. So that is a big thing. So it's made me much more aware about that. And I think that sort of translates into a sort of the second thing you know if well, you hang ask, on hang on hang what? on because uh, no got, i'm afraid i've know. got a segue into something much more fun <laughs> <laughs> okay but are we is it so is this point number one it is point number to, one we need to consider much more carefully for the yeah. sake of our health both yeah. internal and as a society yeah what we eat yeah. and that's 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 a step for you that's a step away from uh, the disownership of food. Yeah. So people need to take ownership back yeah. of what they're eating. Mm. And that means a removal of processing between food source and consumption. Yeah, as far as is possible. I recognise that it's yeah. not, yeah, yeah. you know, I recognise that this is a big thing, a big um, challenge. But where it is possible to reach for, you know, an apple rather than a bag of crisps, for example, as a snack, yeah. um, you know, choosing the apple is usually going to be a good option over time. I, I think it's that in part. And I was a crispaholic. <laughs> I love ah. I love crisps. I Me love too. that crunchy, savoury, um, beautiful saltiness or other flavours. I love the whole crisp experience. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've given them up. Oh, I, what, entirely? Yeah, I don't eat them. That's interesting. I just don't eat them. They're cooked in oil that may have, you know, some of the brands are cooked in stuff that is almost certainly not good for us. So mm. it just has made me think. I have become more self-controlled. And I'm a I'm a, a classic um, glutton. I love food. I mm-hmm. adore it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really adore it. So it, that, that is the sort of the first thing. And the second thing, and this is my second point. Okay, no, that's good. Let's move into that. Let's then, move lovely. into that. Is, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and they're now old enough to be subjected to this by me. Um, my grandkids, I'm teaching the older ones to cook. They were here for a week's holiday. You know, I'm not teaching them to cook for everything, but we made no, no, no. pizza dough. You know, pizza is yeah, a yeah, favourite yeah. thing. You know, um, Henry, who's seven, wrote out the menu of possibilities for toppings. And we worked from that. And we made the dough. And we, uh, you know, the best part being the instruction to slap it around. <laughs> you know, and they yeah, loved that. Yeah. But, the, you know, g- engaging them in this is what we start with. Um, and this is why it's important. The difference between a bland oil and an olive oil going into the dough, you know, can you notice uh-huh. it in the finished product? It all sounds a bit rarefied, so I can hear gasps among your potential listeners. But if you can find things that kids want to eat and help them to understand how they can be part of making it, A, it's more likely that they'll eat it. And secondly, they might actually enjoy the process enough um, that they might want to do it again and again and again and learn learn other stuff Mm. so this you know and I've certainly um you know I would love to see teaching kids to cook on the curriculum um in schools I recognize Mm -hmm. that is fraught with all sorts of other issues um particularly in a covid rich world um I would love the working culture in this country to be such that parents had more time to shop and cook for their families and you know as a full-time working mum 
in the certainly throughout the 1990s and into the early 2000s with three growing girls living at home you know I did what loads do um, and it was the only time I had it was the weekly trip to um, the giant waitrose at Canary Wharf Mm -hmm. and if they didn't sell it we didn't eat it (laughs) it was that simple Um, plenty of shortcuts turning up in my shopping trolley you know dolmio pasta sauce um, sugar yep all yep at crisps <laughs> dips <laughs> coleslaw you name it you know I yeah, yeah. a variety of things and you know lots of fresh food but there wasn't a good butcher I could access in the east end of London so that's where the meat came from and you relied on you know you relied on the buyer but it, teaching kids to cook um but it does require, it's not just a food issue. I think it's a wider social and cultural issue. And it, a lot of it is around working hours um, and, you know, the working hours culture that has evolved um, uh, in this country. That... Yeah, we don't need that, do we? We don't. I mean, no, I think, you know, people are, can be incredibly productive without yeah. without being fit into such a structure. And I think, oh, the anti-capitalist in me is going to come out briefly. But yeah, I think, too. you know, I don't think the endless pursuit of greater wealth does anything in the long run except create more poor people elsewhere and make very unhealthy societies now that's not to say great things can't be done with lots of money and a lot of brilliant stuff is done by very um, generous people who have great wealth and have worked very hard for it I Mm. I appreciate all of those finer Mm. points Mm. but I still find myself in this situation where I think we are a lot of people are missing the joy of just living a slightly less stressful and financially motivated Mm. Mm. life um and i'm not sure what the answer is for that and i'm not sure it'll be the same answer for everyone and i definitely 100 percent agree with you that the way to get children interested in food is to be interested in food yourself and share that experience with them, whether that's intergenerational, uh, you know, grandmother in your case to grandchild or whether Mm. that's parents, parent or sibling to sibling Mm. or, you know, peer to peer. I, Mm. I, I think all of those things are good. And when we put our phones down and close our laptops and think about what we're going to have for supper Mm. and involve the ingredients around us in that thought process and, that sinking into a very ancient human moment in the day is good for us in a lot more ways than just the benefits of eating better food. Mm -hmm. When you look across the channel into France, France and Italy are actually good examples of of what I'm about to say. They have a very much more democratic food culture than we do. Mm -hmm. I think there's less social polarisation around um, the choices uh, that are made because there mm-hmm. is a national food system with remarkably little that comes in from outside. Yeah. Um, and the sort of so-called Western diet um, of Uber and certainly medium processed foods that has been successful, successfully adopted in the UK doesn't seem to have penetrated either France or Italy in anything like the same way. And... Um, you know, we were in, on holiday in Italy with the whole family last year and the trip to the local supermarket, which was my favourite thing every day. There were 12 <laughs> yeah. of us. You know, I looked hard to see what had not been grown or made in Italy. 
And all I could really pick on were blueberries and raspberries, of which mm-hmm. they had sort of like, you know, three cartons. And that was it. Yeah. They, 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 <laughs> they, they produce it, they grow it, they cultivate it, and then they sell it. Yeah. And, and the, the very idea of mm-hmm. processed food mm-hmm. in much of Italy still, I mean, slightly different mm-hmm. in the more developed north and mm-hmm. in the sort of more urban conurbations. But yeah. That that the puzzlement that would cross uh, your average Italian's face if you said, "Oh, I haven't really got time for lunch today, so mm. I'm just going to eat this sandwich that came in a packet." Yeah, they would not understand that. Mm. They would say, "Well, first of all, it's your time, mm. so make time to have lunch because mm. that's for you and it's important." Mm. And secondly, if even if you're busy and you want to have a quick lunch, which we don't really understand. Why are you going to eat that? Mm. 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 <laughs> and I love them for it. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, and, and the French, t- I spent a reasonable amount of time in France when mm. I was younger. I spent mm. probably more than the average person amount of time in Italy, but by nowhere near enough, but more than enough to become infected by it. Mm. And I try and live by those those standards here as much as I, I, I practically yeah. can yeah. Uh, it's not always easy but I, no. you know that's that's the thing you've got to make the effort you've got to take a packed lunch with you mm. you've got to you know you've got to um I, mean, I travel I mean I don't know what you're like but I'm terrible I get to the airport and my suitcase is full of tiny little glass jars of spices and bits and pieces and uh, and i'm thinking well they're gonna have fun with this one at x-ray yeah. <laughs> i mean there's 14 different types of dried herb in my bag and uh, yeah. if they take if they open them all and offer them to the dog there's bound to be one he likes <laughs> no i'm very familiar with this and i think it's one of it is one of the great joys of um you know being lucky enough from time to time to uh, to, to travel elsewhere and see and taste and then bring back and maybe even have a crack at trying to grow some of this stuff ourselves. Mm, mm. Gosh, so you um, kindly asked about three things, didn't you? So I did, I did, I did, and then I stole your middle one and started talking about myself. No, no, not at all. No, you haven't stolen that. anything at all. Um, and I hadn't really got any preconceived ideas about what that might be, but I think that the thing, one of the things that I have had my eyes opened to. Because I, when we moved up here, although I already knew Norfolk from uh, the 1980s, because in that um, bonkers early life of small children and the very full-on um, city career, mm-hmm. um, my first husband and I were lucky enough to um, buy a tiny cottage with a decent-sized garden for our children to have some outdoor space, not very far from where David and I now live. And... Um, when I look back, the sort of the food culture that has evolved in Norfolk now was, well, I don't even think, I wasn't even aware of it particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have got some of the most staggeringly wonderful cheese makers, um, charcuterie makers, growers of all kinds. Um, and this, I suppose my, my sort of third thing is about doing as far as I can um, local uh, focused food shopping in terms of you know not reaching for the cheddar option um, Mm -hmm. at the deli counter but actually instead looking for the local uh, the local in this case made by Mrs Temple um, option 
she makes beautiful hard cheeses she makes beautiful soft cheeses she makes beautiful blue cheeses but actually because and, be, and being so aware which has been magnified this year um because of the uh virus um situation yeah that actually when you spend a pound uh on a product made by a small producer it really makes a difference to them yes yes it and does sort of you know we talk we've heard a lot about food security and brexit coming up and i'm i've been noticing in my twitter feed a lot of comments from farmers about you know really quite disappointing grain harvest yields this this season mm-hmm. um which you know it, it raises questions about all sorts of things for the winter and into 2021 but again, about looking at and becoming more aware of who is doing what and what difference it makes. You know, when you choose to shop in a local, uh, locally owned retail business that mm-hmm. may be stocking a substantial proportion of locally produced or grown product. Again, we're back to sort of choices. How can we create and support one another? Or to, it's a sort of tangent, I suppose, of what we've talked about earlier in terms mm-hmm. of food security and community and the shift away, uh, which I think you're right in, 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 in mentioning. I think there's going to be a shift away from the urban conurbation because um, I personally don't see an easy, quick end to this virus situation. Um, I think it will ease at some point, but a lot of time has the potential to pass and we need to keep going in the meantime. And we do need to look after ourselves and keep ourselves healthy and safe. Um, And part of that may involve making different choices about what we're eating. And we have hopefully got the opportunity to choose to buy a locally grown cabbage rather than one that's been shrink wrapped and shipped in from I don't know I don't know where it might have come from, so I think that I think is my sort of third theme. I realise when I sort of recap briefly in my mind or just think through on what I've sort of focused on, mm-hmm. these are things I actually care very passionately about. I don't care passionately about the resizing of dairy milk or the changing of the formulation of a biscuit. Actually, I d- I don't. Maybe I should care more about those things, but I don't. I care much more about um, the big picture, the opportunity to transfer knowledge. Miraculously, despite my long working hours, my three daughters have all grown up and and are not only brilliant cooks, they're creative, they're innovative. I learn loads from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they're also very keen that in a sort of multi-generational way that we cook together and we always try to eat together you know <laughs> even if sometimes a wailing two-year-old is a member of the squad while we're doing it um it, you know, it's part of life um and it's a really important subtle um learning point i think for for the for the younger ones in our in our family so yes so this third thing for me would be about if you can choose to support the local grower, um, mm-hmm. the local producer, the local maker. Um, that's that's marvellous because actually you help strengthen the community ties. You help strengthen um, uh, the security of the food supply in your own area, which we have yet to... Put we that, have, hmm? 
Sorry, I was just going to say I, I couldn't have put that better myself. Um, I think it, and I these are things that as a twenty something, thirty something, forty something, I just I really didn't think about them. I was so busy head down, and so I have huge empathy and sympathy for those who are living the life, sort of life that I lived then. You know, where you feel if you're not at home, you're at work, and if you're at home, you're struggling through your domestic to-do list which also includes feeding the family and mm-hmm. the object objective there was to get the food on the table as quickly as possible and shortcuts were taken left right and center I'm talking about myself here um but there's now... a different option though isn't there there's a different option so let's just spin out um if I you don't mind me interrupting a no, tiny carry bit on. let's say uh that near near the city where you were working mm-hmm. there was uh, some gardens just on the outskirts mm. where brilliant people were growing amazing stuff locally mm. and then they were cooking it up in great big cauldrons and then they were delivering it to your door that would have been you epic. would take advantage of that service right yeah indeed so it doesn't have to be a choice of hyper processed low uh low i'm gonna say low quality because that's what i think hyper processed mm. low quality convenient food or laborious standing in the kitchen chopping sourcing your own stuff Mm. growing your own herbs Mm. you know everything it Mm. does not have to be a or b no you know there are a thousand shades of different option between Mm. those two and if we take some of the money that is being wasted in my opinion on overprocessed um imported products and use that to build communities of people around the country who will provide great stuff Mm. as an ulterior option for the people who are busy creating money Mm. or building you know other socially responsible businesses then that is clearly clearly a much better use of that money not only for our economy overall but for the health of our society no, I'm completely. God, I sounded really grown up then. Yeah, well, I'm right with you there, Tim. And I had something like that existed when I was living in the East End of London. You know, I'm mm. talking about living just off the Mile End Road, a mile's walk to the edge of the city of London. Amazing. Um, yeah. And I had a garden that would, oh crikey, would fit into the office space that I'm sitting here, sitting in here. <laughs> I mean, it was like I don't know, three meters by five or something like that. Um, it was a tiny, tiny space. I had, I did actually grow courgettes one year because I had a new flower beds and I wanted to fill them quickly. And I thought, oh yes, courgettes will do the job. Yes, so I true. did grow courgettes and I did grow tomatoes. But you know, there, there was just no space. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you don't have space to have all the freezer capacity in the house. But you did have a thwacking great Waitrose and a thwacking great Sainsbury's within a short distance. So you reorder, you know, you deal with what you've got around you. Um, yeah. I reckon I reckon we can take over the airports that we no longer need because we're not frivolously flying everywhere. We can grow stuff on them. Yeah. And and you know, th- this could be this could be the most incredible re-greening of yeah. the urban centers. Well, and you're right. improvement of life, you know. I mean, let's 
let's get can we have a quick chat with bojo and direct some of this dramatic emergency cash that we suddenly seem to have pulled out of the ether and um can we direct it in that general direction that would be great can you sort that out you're you're absolutely right and when i think about you know more recently um certainly in the last 10 years has been a fantastic community growing project going on in the lee valley which is not that far from the center of london you know that's north oh. northeast london you've got community growers there producing food that you know the old market garden approach mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. you know that's how london used to feed itself absolutely right um, um anyway that's what, i'm going to i'm going to take over roll on well you take <laughs> over but i've i've also i've written minute. down two other words book and drink drink and book yeah 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 that's where i'm taking you but you've got to stop hosting the pod it's mine (laughs) remember remember that i'm i'm good at forgetting things so um yeah i wrote those down as prompts so okay excellent all right well without (laughs) (laughs) this will come as a massive surprise to the Mm. listeners but i'm gonna i'm gonna guide you out of your uh, and try and briefly summarize your three points that we've got okay so yeah um we need to eat more naturally, number one, mm. basically, mm. for all sorts of different reasons. Number two, cook more with young people yeah, uh, and share your food with them, basically. Mm. Uh, and then number three, localism slash improve local food security. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think they're all brilliant points and they're, they're very close to my heart. And I apologise if anyone can hear my daughter singing outside. Well, actually, I don't apologise. <laughs> She's outside life. singing in the sunshine and I'm not going to stop her for the sake of this recording. Bless, bless. Um, well, we've got a puppy. We've got an 18 week old puppy. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be outside singing in the sunshine with the puppy? <laughs> um, however, Jane, to drag this back to the mundane realism of the end of the section for the podcast, I would like to ask you for your desert island cookbook. You don't actually have to be on a desert island. It's no. not like that. But um, you can be a desert island or a desert type situation of your own uh, imagining. Mm. I want to know what that would be. I would like to know what you'd like to drink while you're perusing it. And then if you want to, and that no one's under any obligation to follow up, although I know you did very kindly and I've really enjoyed having you on. So thanks for doing that. If you'd like to nominate someone else to come and have a chat, that would also be great so book drink nomination go okay right well um gosh these have been here forever in my head um and they're so easy um french provincial cooking by elizabeth david twice Um, in a row look at that i bought that in fact i've got several copies i've got beautiful hard bound copies uh bought as presents um by my lovely husband. And I have the copy that I bought for myself in 1976. Um, I like reading this as a novel. I, I just think that the way that Elizabeth David wrote was stunning. Um, and she was a woman ahead of her time. And I'm very grateful to her for her storytelling and the quality of her recipes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that is my, that is absolutely uh, the book. Um, and my drink, actually, I'm going to be naughty here and I'm going to have drinks and nibbles on my desert island. It would be um, red wine and soft cheese. <laughs> oh, it's a good combination. Um, it's a good combination. More specifically, based on my discoveries uh, locally, it would be Flint Vineyard 
Precoce um, red wine, which is a Pinot Noir that they produce down uh, near Ersham on the Waveney Valley border between Norfolk and Suffolk. And the nice. cheese would be Baron Bigard, creeping beautifully, made with raw milk from Montbelliard cows at um, Bungie by Fen Farm Dairy. So Baron Bigard cheese and Flint Vineyard Precoce red wine. Um, well, in which case, and I like this, but I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that we alter the title of your favourite book with no disrespect intended to Elizabeth at all. Go on. Provincial cooking. <laughs> because you want you want to do is you want to you want to yeah. live that life, but you want to do, do it where you are. I do. And it's not about France because we've got it all here. Yeah, we do. So well, these do days it. we do. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we used to before as well. I know, but it, it certainly East Anglia is just punching way above its weight, um, I think, these days. I think it's fantastic. Um, it is just extraordinary what's coming out of this region. And I'm I coming. Feel, I'm coming. I feel as so soon as I can get out. So, um, yes, the um, well, I ought to say a public thank you to Sarah for uh, creating an exhilarating chatty lovely Wednesday morning with you Tim so thank you Aww. very much indeed um, well, you're very welcome and, and thanks thinking... to her from me too <laughs> I, I mean, and 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 then thanks well then we've got to follow the chain back so it was Tim Kinnard who had a very I... similar story to yours at the food fair that introduced me to her I know um, I listened I to know, it and a drug baker yep. came, um, it, you know this convoluted storyline awesome. here it's very human I know um yeah, well, you. I mean, anyone you want to thank, you you thank them. That's fine well, by me. But I want you to also drop someone in it if you can. I don't want to drop anyone in it. But one of my, one of uh, somebody lovely, somebody else that's lovely, um, that Sarah introduced. That being the commonly used uh, yeah. word for these things in Norfolk. Um, Sarah graciously introduced me to the lovely um, Jonathan Redding of Norfolk Gin, the original. Um, artisan gin that was launched here in Norfolk about five years ago and he is my patient collaborative partner in the thing that will be launched next year called <gasps> Norfolk Meddler Gin. Yes 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 and is this a tincture is it being distilled with the meddler it's, in it as a botanical a what's steep. happening? It's going to be a steep um, okay it's been a bit of a bumpy road getting to the point where I'm satisfied that it's good enough to be um, marketed um, and um, yeah so Jonathan Redding of Norfolk Gin what a chap absolutely lovely chap and his lovely wife Alison who's now joined him full-time in the business oh blissful people lovely people lovely stories beautiful gin <laughs> oh oh that is that's made me thirsty um I'm I'm really excited about that product I'm really I mean talking to you is just exciting anyway because you are full of positivity which is always great to to hear and um, I love a collaboration. I mean, I'm one of those people, I probably wouldn't get very much done if left to my own devices. I quite like looking at the view and, um, you know, sort of making myself something to eat and then sort of not really doing much else and then going, oh, whoops, mortgage, hang on. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I mean, without interesting people to collaborate with, yeah. I think I'd be sort of basically not doing anything. So <laughs> I think it's, it's great. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful wonderful thing to be able to do 
it's yeah. just fantastic. And what, more learning. Uh, we're all of an age um, and we're having a good time um, navigating the bumpy road. The bumpy road with meddlers is that they're cloudy buggers when you introduce them to alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm just not willing to tolerate that because not, Jonathan's gin is too beautiful. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but I've, clacked, I've cracked the clarity problem. And um, thanks to a random, completely unexpected conversation with a restaurant owner in Paris last September who has been making um, fruit steeps in spirits for decades. Nice. And uh, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. As well. So these random moments... Random moments that are unexpected are the sixpences on which life turns. And it, in 20 minutes, solved my problem. Well, that is brilliant. I mean, as we, as we talk, behind me in my office, there is a, uh, a good six gallons of elderberry uh, port just steeping, <laughs> um, which is brandy, red wine, elderberries, sugar. And it's just sitting Delirious. there until I decide it's ready yeah. um, and I love all that oh, Jane I've had so much fun talking to you I could listen and chat for hours but um, but in terms of uh, the podcast we're sort of coming towards the end of Aww. the time that I've got available well, but that's okay because mm. we've nailed it mm. you've, you've nominated Jonathan of Norfolk Gin I have um, we've got all three points from you we've had a lovely introductory chat and lots of um, lots of nice interest in uh, in all your three points all the way through there. I mean, long periods of silence from me, which only ever means one thing, which is I think what you're saying is brilliant. Um, fantastic! Oh, I've had such a nice time. Oh, thank you, Tim. Thank you so much, and thanks again to Sarah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm so glad that you've also been um, confronted um, for the first time in your own life by you know the meddler fruit um, I remember vid vividly coming across it for the first time 12 years ago in David's garden in Cambridgeshire um, yeah. and you presumably came across it in that lovely setting and yeah it piqued, obviously piqued your interest a little bit so well it wasn't that lovely if I'm honest with you I was in a dank cellar inside a giant refrigerator confronted with a tray of what I thought was sort of moldy rotten rose hips <laughs> Uh, and and but if I'd known then, you see, that's interesting, isn't it? Because if I'd known then that the meddler was going to introduce me to you, hmm. um, that would have blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Great, right, Jane. Thanks for coming on, and Many thanks, I look forward Tim. to meeting you in person when the world settles down a little bit. Indeed. Well, take care and good luck with everything. And you too. Cheerio. All the best.